You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. It's Marcus D'Angelo. We're back for another episode of Everybody's Got a Pod. And of course, I am joined by the million dollar man, the Hall of Famer, Ted DiBiase. Ted, what's going on, man? Hey, it's you, Marcus. It's uh, time to it's time to do it again. Man, I tell you what, I, I love doing this because you do this research and and you pull out so many things that I had totally forgotten until you mention them. And it's cool. It's almost like me reliving them, you know. You know, it's funny as I'm as I'm recording this, I just finished doing a recording with with Jim Duggan for the Hacksaw or over on adfreeshows.com. And he yeah. was telling me the same thing. We were watching some Mid-South stuff and he was like, Marcus, he was like, no joke. I have never seen any of this ever. And it's it's, it's, <laughs> funny. Yeah. it's funny because there's there were no there was no like TV replay. It's like if you missed it, you missed it. And that's that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's uh, a lot of this stuff is kind of being uncovered for the first time for you guys. Yeah. So it's interesting to see you guys react. Yeah, and uh, uh, it, 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 I think if, if I, my memory serves me right, Vince McMahon now owns all of that. All of it belongs to Vince. Every wrestling tape that's, a, that's in, I mean, maybe not in Japan, but, you know, anything in the, anything that was territorial in the United States, he owns it. Yep. And I don't know if you ever heard about this or not, but uh, it's uh, so I don't know what he paid for, like the AWA stuff or Mid-South for that matter. Uh, Well, Mid-South probably would have been lumped in with the JCP stuff after the acquisition. But did did you ever hear what he ended up uh, paying for WCW's video rights and, you know, all that? No. So like to essentially buy WCW, including their entire library, I think it came out to two million dollars in total. Wow. Right, so uh, all of that video library, all of the content that he's now monetizing with the with the network, it's like, man, uh, looking back, we have the benefit of hindsight, but pretty good deal for the chairman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, um, it's kind of like you know, I you know, I said they they uh, <laughs> they give us a contract every couple years, uh, and um, I can't remember how often the contract comes, but if you read the contract, it's basically like, okay, he owes me <laughs> lock, stock and barrel. Uh, you know, and, and there are some guys uh, that haven't signed, re-signed with me, you know, and, uh, but I think it's more to my benefit if I do. Uh, but I mean, of course, royalties, you know, I, I think they're obligated to the royalties, whether I sign that contract or not. That's right. Uh, so you should you should receive royalties whether or not you've signed a legends contract. Yeah. And yeah, you know, it's there's a lot more options nowadays. You know, the the world has changed and that more people are able to produce action figures. So now all of a sudden a lot of guys are, are eyeing their WWE contract and saying like, well, 
you know, guys like Matt Cardona uh, and Powertown Toys and all these other companies are, are producing their own action figures. Maybe I can actually do better if I go on my own and with a with a non-exclusive contract. So a lot of people are starting to kind of explore their footing. So it's you never know what's in the future for the million dollar man, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we know it's in the future for the million dollar man, but not to not to DiBiase. <laughs> Vince owns the million dollar man. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Well, uh, we can get into our topic here in a minute, Ted, because uh, today we're talk- we're looking back to WCW again to talk about 1996. And we're actually going to be covering two months this time around. As this episode drops, it's going to be December 1st, so we're going to be talking about November and December of 1996. So that includes World War III, Starcade, plenty more. This one should be an absolute blast, but... Before we get into it, you guys know what's going on here. Uh, we've got to, I've got to do my usual reminder about getting subscribed at youtube.com slash at everybody's got a pod. We've got two giveaways going on right now with a signed elite action figure and a signed WWE superstars figure, which as a t- by the time you guys are hearing this, are going to be in the mail and uh, headed Ted's way for him to sign. We're going to name two winners at the end of the month, and you can be one of them. Just get over to youtube.com slash at everybody's got a pod and get subscribed. And by the way, we've got all kinds of cool stuff over there. YouTube exclusive videos, little bite-sized versions of our podcast that you can introduce a friend to. So it's, I mean, you're missing out if you're not over there without the giveaway. Get over there and become eligible at youtube.com slash at everybody's got a pod. So, Ted, something I've been meaning to ask you about as we've been taking our look back here to uh, 1996 and your time at WCW uh, is a performer that a lot of folks credit with influencing the way that wrestling is today. And a guy who's still active in WWE, we're talking about Rey Mysterio and he's here in WCW at this time and his high flying style and uncharacteristically small size have made him a legend in wrestling. Um, Uh You know, you and I had talked on our last episode about, you know, kind of the, the, the way that wrestling has gone nowadays with, with uh, less emphasis on selling, more emphasis on moves and high-flying stuff. And Ray is really kind of responsible for a lot of it. What did you think about Ray and some of the incredible stuff he was doing at the time? Well, I mean, I, you, know, I, I, you know, I personally like Ray very much. And, and the, the thing about it is, is this. For Ray Mysterio, who's, you know, I don't even know if he's... Is, comes up to my yeah at least up he comes up to my waist but he's not a big guy at all so he's got to have something different yes to offer and what he had to offer was you know the high flying stuff but you know what that's good for Ray Mysterio mm-hmm. all you other guys out there don't go out there if you're six foot four and, and try to do triple back somersaults. You know, it's, I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's the bottom line with me, my whole objection with a lot of what I see on TV today is the thing that has changed is the match. And I'm sorry, but I personally don't believe that that should have changed at all because you're telling a story and you know, sometimes it's a short story because you may only have a six minute match and then, then it's, then what you can do or what, you know, and I'll be honest with you, it's really hard to have a match of six minutes, but uh, it's just become all this high flying junk. It's just like, you know, it's, 
You know, I, I've seen these guys take beautiful bumps, these young kids, take a triple back somersault, you know, and, and you know, if, if I ever took a bump like I've seen some of these guys take over the top rope to the floor, mm-hmm. I'm not going to bounce up like a bunny. No. I'm going to stay down and sell it. That's what's missing. Sell it. And that's what sells tickets. It's, it's before the fans can really get behind you, you've got to, you got to as much as you possibly can in the time that you have in the ring, try to make them believe your story and make it, make it as realistic as I can. Nobody tries to do that. Well, I won't say nobody, but very few try to do that anymore. And one of the guys that I think has become very good and more of an old style. And again, by a lot of the people who influenced him was CM Punk. Mm-hmm. He wrestles a more old school way. And that's, that's my whole, you know what? I'm going to die on that hill. <laughs> <laughs> and look, I don't blame you. And, you know, it's like everybody says, and, you know, I agree in many respects that, you know, uh, like all entertainment, wrestling needs to change and evolve. And I, I'm, I'm for it. Let's, let's change. Let's evolve. Let's, let's get better. However, I don't think that you're getting better when you're not selling. And that's that. That was the cool thing about Rey Mysterio was that, yep, he was doing some crazy shit and flying all over the place, yeah, the other ring. But he's where, yeah. But the reason he got over is because Ray knew that for him to really get over. And, and to do those 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 fantastic things that he can do, he had to sell. Mm-hmm. He had to get he had to put himself in a position to where the people watching the story are going, come on, Ray, come on, you can do it, man. Get up, man. You can do it. Get it up. Get up. And and just you know like that the whole thing, you know, one hand that drops and one two hands it drops and if it drops a third time the match is over and, and and you and you keep that hand up and okay there's still life there and here he comes uh yeah i don't know it's just uh, and yeah, I, have, when, I have a lot of respect for ray when ray started to kind of climb the ladder and move up uh up the ranks a big part of what was happening was that he was having a thing with kevin nash i think this was in 1999 and he beat kevin nash um, and like the whole idea was that he was in trouble throughout this whole match and it was really easy for Nash and Nash is just taking advantage of the guy. And then at the end, he somehow pulls it out. Um, and then yeah, that's it's like, yeah, it's almost like, you know, it's like, you know, Nash is, he's not, not Nash is, Nash has gotten comfortable with where he's at. And, and then all of a sudden Ray Mysterio, like the quick little guy that he is goes toot, 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 one, two, three. Yep. And Nash is left in the ring going, no way. <laughs> <laughs> and it works. It worked with uh, yes. the one, two, three kid and Razor Ramon. You know, absolutely. It's, absolutely. It's tried and true. But in order for you to feel like that guy is in danger and feel like, oh, there's no way he's going to be able to pull this one off, he has to sell. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. You know, and so much of it has become, it's more like a circus act now. I'm sorry, but yeah. what Ray understood. Being that size is that he had to learn how to just sell his butt off and sell and sell and sell. And then, you know, start and, you know, and I've watched him, you know, I mean, he's really good. Make a good slow comeback and finally get full of fire. And then all those, all those triple back somersaults kick you in the face. 
uh, moves, you know, they, they come across, they come across and everybody loves him. And they mean more if, if they're not happening all throughout the match, you know, if it's part of his comeback and he's doing, busting out some of these crazy moves, then all of a sudden it's like, holy smokes, look at this guy making his comeback. Whereas yeah. if you're doing it all throughout the match, it's, it's white noise. It's who cares? I, I've been seeing yeah. it, you know, for, right. you know, 20 minutes now. Um, well, look, there was, he was among um, all of the many talented people here in WCW at this time. And there's a guy who is working behind the scenes, who's about to show his talent on the microphone now, uh, and show his talent as a heel. It's Eric Bischoff. He's officially going to join the NWO here in November. There had been some fishy circumstances here and there. And now the truth of the matter comes out and, uh, he's, he's out in the open as a member of the group. Ted, I know that you were frustrated because he ended up kind of filling the role that you were initially given in the group. But objectively, what did you think of his work as a heel? I don't know. I mean, you know, you know, uh, he was okay, but I mean, he was no great worker. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, here was his opportunity to, you know, I, you know, I, I you know, but I, I get the one thing I got to give him credit for is, you know, how, how he ever talked his way into that position. Right. The stroke of genius. I mean, he had never been a wrestler. He didn't know how to wrestle. And here he is promoting and calling the shots for a whole bunch of wrestlers for a, for a, for a company, excuse me, but WCW, they don't know crap about wrestling either. You're kind of stuck in this role behind Bischoff now uh, that he's he's sort of the the main guy on the mic and the guy who's sort of like yeah. uh, essentially the spokesperson for Hollywood Hogan. Um, and you'll come out with Bischoff and Vincent at World War Three to confront Piper for a contract signing for a match, uh, a contract signing for a match. And Hogan and Bischoff and Piper will do all of the mic work. So there's Ted DiBiase, a guy who's renowned for his uh, mic ability and you aren't yeah. getting an opportunity to take the mic. Did you feel like Eric was involving himself out of just kind of like a stroking his own ego type thing? Or did you feel he, you know, him in this, this over the top boss character was kind of like a crucial element in the story? Well, you know, I, I, I don't know what Eric was thinking. And, and I quite frankly, you know, um, by the time I went, uh, you know, and, and jumped off, off the WWE wagon and jumped the WCW wagon, um, you know, I, I wasn't physically wrestling anymore. I didn't really enjoy the, you know, what my heart was into was being in the ring with the tights on and doing it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, I was my, uh, <laughs> it was just, you know, you know, I, I felt like the, my better days were, were past me and I was just uh, filling in time and making money. So, no. you know, I was real excited about WCW. Yeah. And, and I actually, I think I got, I came to a place where, you know, you know, I thought maybe, uh, maybe this wasn't such a good idea after all. I don't know. So despite, you know, guaranteed money and, and, you know, I, I would assume some of the better money that you'd made in your career up to that point, and it's all guaranteed less days, you're home more, despite all that, it was, you weren't creatively satisfied um, anymore or, or getting to feel the satisfaction of actually getting in the ring anymore. And, and you yeah. were, uh, you were not really enjoying yourself, huh? Not really. No, not really. But, uh, the money's just not everything, yeah. right? Yeah, it was, well, and you know, and, and the whole thing with, with, uh, with Bischoff, like I said, I mean, he, here he hires me for a role and then 
ultimately he puts himself in the role that he hired me for, mm-hmm. you know, and I, you know, I said, and, and I didn't, I didn't get in his, in his face or anything about it, but I just did. I did say, I said, look, I said, you know, uh, you've seemed to take in that, that, that role. And I said, uh, I'm not just going to go out and be somebody's belt bearer. Right. Yes. I'm not, I'm not going to go out and just stand in the corner with my thumb up my butt, uh, uh, looking like Joe idiot. So, you know, if you don't, if you don't have anything better for me to do, then just send me home. And I wasn't, I wasn't unhappy about that because he still had to pay me. And that's what ended, that's what ended up happening. Well, it won't be long into the conversation before the rest of the NWO comes out. And we'll have a look at our first clip this week in this confrontation at World War III. All world to see this. Show them the hip. Oh, no, 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 no. Boy, you're a straight up dude, aren't you? You're really on the money, aren't you, honey? What is he talking about? <laughs> Let me show the whole world what I've been talking about, Piper. Show them the hip. Wow. Huh? That scar. How about that, Red? Hey, you know something? I don't usually pick on cripples. Wow. Oh, for my... I don't usually pick on people that are like pig like Pete. Mm-hmm. But since the whole world seems to like you, my friend, and since the whole world wants to see the war that didn't end the score, Oh, yes, my man. It's going to be my pleasure to sign this contract. There it is. Let me tell you, Piper, now that I've signed that contract, you, my friend, are not going to have a leg to stand on because I can't wait to be a McGimp. Yeah, 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 there you go, get after him. He's going after Hogan. Get after him. He is sorely outnumbered here. Well, he picked it, like I said, he's in there with it now. Hogan just a whipping on him. And he knew what to expect getting in that ring. Right. The NWO wasn't going to leave him alone. They don't want him healthy after he signed his name to that contract. They can't hold him down. No, they won't hold him down. Go get him. Tap head off. He needs to get on him right there. Got it, you know, like he said, he's outnumbered. Showing that scar, there you can see it. Hogan is going to get a chair. Oh man, he can't be doing this, he's man. He's gonna cripple him. He can't do this. He's had hip surgery, and Hogan's gonna cripple the man. That's what he's doing. Well, what a bad scar that is right oh, there. Oh no! No! My goodness, the question is now, it's been signed, but could Piper compete? All right, so there it is, Ted, the reveal of Piper's hip and probably the weakest chair shot I have ever personally witnessed from Hogan. (laughs) 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 Ted, uh, you know, it's it's funny. I I talked to Jake recently about chair shots, and he said 
whether he was giving one or taking one, he he needed it to be a stiff shot because you really can't make it look good any other way. Uh, what's your opinion when it comes to giving or receiving a chair shot? Well, it, it, it's it's the same, but I guess the one thing that I would say is that anytime I took a, a, a chair shot to the head, I mean, I, I didn't just stand there with my hands down. It's like the old thing is, you know, as that as that shot's coming, mm-hmm. you know, and so I could take a good chair shot, but uh, the reason that uh, you know it's kind of like I took enough bumps and everything, you know, but I mean, like I was never one of those guys that I'm going to stand there and just let you hit me in the head, even though it's a folding chair and and all of that crap. Um, I wasn't going to let anybody just hit me in the head. Uh, there was something, you know, there's, okay, uh, you know, I love the business, but there's just some places you don't go. You know, it's like kind of like the reason that we, you know, wrestling is wrestling is because it's sports entertainment. You know, it, it's, you know, to me, like it's like playing football. Mm-hmm. If you're a football player, you're not going to take, take the helmet off and let somebody hit you in the head with a chair. <laughs> you know, try to tackle somebody without your helmet on or any, yeah. any crazy risks like that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, I can't imagine that it's always perfectly timed whenever, even when you're getting your, your hands up to block a chair shot. Has anybody ever slipped one past and really got you good with a chair? Uh, yeah, I mean, Who you remembers know, though, after you take a shot like that? You know, I mean, I mean, no, nobody, no, nobody ever just came after me with a chair. I mean, uh, I mean, I was always, it was always worked, so to speak, you know, Jay and I, I, Jake and I, we had a lot of good matches and we had several matches where, well, we ended up uh, bleeding, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, I've taken a shot from him. He's taken a shot from me, uh, but it's just knowing how to do it. Did you ever let somebody, uh, get juice with you hard way? Or uh, were you always bleeding to get there? Uh, no, I never, I never let anybody hard way me. Yeah, that doesn't sound like fun to me. Okay, let's take a minute to discuss our fantastic sponsor that is changing the lives of men everywhere. Of course, we are talking about Blue Chew. Are you ready to perform with the confidence of the million-dollar man in the bedroom? Are you ready to leave your partner feeling like a million bucks? Are you ready to get that thing so hard you can go hunting with it? If the answer to all those questions is yes, it's time for you to give Blue Chew a try. Blue Chew can help increase your performance and regain that old confidence where it counts the very most. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so that you can plan ahead or be ready when that opportunity springs up. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part of it, it's all done online. You can forget about those visits to the doctor's office, no more weird, awkward, uncomfortable conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy anymore. It comes right to you. Blue Chew's tablets are made right here in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. But you know the drill, guys. There's not going to be anything discreet about your package. Men everywhere have never been more excited to see their mail carrier arrive because when your package arrives, your package arrives. Listen, I know what your next question is. 
Will it actually work? Why don't you try it for free and find out for yourself? Something free from the Million Dollar Man? That's right. You can try it right now for free. All you have to do is pay $5 shipping. That's it. Place your order now and give your partner a very pleasant surprise. Women are attracted to confidence, and Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. Don't wait any longer. Time to chew it and do it. Take advantage of our special deal. Again, you can try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code EGAP at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code EGAP, and receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information, and we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring Everybody's Got a Pod. Yeah. Well, uh, the stage is set for Starcade with Hogan and Piper, and Meltzer would say that this angle was good, but too bad the two of them actually had to work a match. Now, uh, Ted, were you optimistic that these two older performers, they're both in their 40s here, were you optimistic that they could carry a main event at one of the biggest shows of the year? I had no I had no doubt. I mean, you're talking about, you know, what? of course, two of the biggest names in the wrestling industry, and who had handled themselves uh, very well, obviously, or wouldn't be in the positions they were in. But to say that these two guys could go out and have a match is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think that they're going to have some kind of a, uh, you know, a mat classic. I don't think that they're going to, you know, go out there and do any top rope maneuvers. But I think that, you know, the, a couple of guys with great charisma and great storytelling, it's like, okay, yeah, got absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so Ted, the big gimmick for World War Three is, of course, a three-ring, sixty-man battle royal for a shot at the world title. Uh, Ted, sixty men jam-packed into three rings, and this is not like the Royal Rumble where it's like you know every couple of minutes somebody new comes out. Nope, the match starts with sixty dudes in three rings <laughs> fighting. Uh, what did you think of this concept? Uh, well. I was just happy I I wasn't the one that was going to have to determine who went out first and who went out last and everything in between. Well, if I was in it, I'd be volunteering to get out of there for <laughs> just eliminate me. Let's see. Yeah. Go home. Yeah. I mean, uh, overall, Ted, you know, battle royals, what do you what do you think about them? Because, uh, you know, it's especially something like this. I mean, I'm trying to paint a picture for people here. It's three rings, 20 men in each ring. I mean, what the hell do fans focus on? You know, I have a hard time. Yeah, focusing yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't think it's ever been done again. And I hope it's not. But I, th- I think I think that just the advertising something so huge uh i guess would spark the, the the curiosity of the fans one time i mean i can't you know i, I have you ever heard of another uh 60 man ballerola i mean not since not since wcw stopped doing them it was not the royal rumble and yeah i mean like the well, camera- yeah, and i tell you what if you watch a uh you know uh if you watch a, a match like that where you got you know, maybe 12 guys or even 15 guys in the ring, you know, um, and you just have to do it. You find out, you know, it's like, I, I always knew, okay, when so-and-so goes out, I'm next. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how everybody did it. It's kind of like, okay, I'm going to go out right after he goes out. You know, and that's, 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 so there was no confusion. So you knew you were in the ring until 
you know, the guy that's going out right before you takes takes a bump and goes out. You know, and uh, over the top, I think it was either over the top rope or 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 by pinfall. But most of the time, it was over the top rope. Yep. Um, and if it's done in a in, in a good way, it can be a pretty fun, and exciting match, especially when it gets down to like maybe the last four guys. Oh yeah. And I can I can remember I can remember having watching a match like that in Amarillo. And uh, the last three guys were Dory Funk Jr., Terry Funk, and I can't remember who the last guy was. But now you got two brothers in there that everybody knows, and now they got to try to get each other out of the ring. Right. Like, obviously, they're going to team up against the other guy at first, but once he's gone yeah. and it's just the two of them, it's like, okay, man, this is going to get interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, it's like, I love Battle Royals in general, yeah. but, man, 60 guys in a ring, or even 30 guys in one ring all yeah. at once. You know, yeah. that, that's the nice thing about the Rumbles. That they stagger bringing people out, so it's not yeah. some insane, right. massive humanity in there. Uh, Ted, when you're in a Battle Royal, is, like, what's your strategy to avoid catching, like, an errant elbow or getting a knee to the face? Because there's a lot of body parts moving around in there. Yeah, I would always find a, a corner. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd get with somebody and I'd, I'd lock up and I'd pull them into the corner with me and I said, okay, well, let's, let's fight. You know, <laughs> you hit me a few times, I'll hit you back. Blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you know, um, and sometimes there were a few like high spots done in battle Royals too. And but you had to know when it was coming. And then um, I can't remember just how they, you know, everybody knew, you know, it's kind of like when so-and-so gets with so-and-so, everybody get out of the way because they're going to do this, whatever. So. It's funny. Uh, I've asked Jake that question before, too, talking about the Rumble. Like, he's like, oh, I hate him. I hate being in Battle Royals and Royal Rumbles. He's like, because yeah. it's, it's just dangerous. You know, you never know if you're going to catch an elbow. And I'm like, so what is your strategy? And he said the same thing as you. He's like, I go and find a corner. And so now that I've heard you say it, I'm like, is that just everybody's strategy? Everybody's just trying to get into the corner. <laughs> uh, the smart guys try to find a corner. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just the savvy veterans. Um, well, look, the next night on Nitro, the NWO gets yet another new member as Buff Bagwell turns on his partner, Scotty Riggs, and joins the group. Ted, Buff is not a name I see us having a lot of discussion about here on the show. What do you think about Buff Bagwell and his inclusion in the group? Uh, you know, Buff's a decent guy. He's a good-looking guy. Uh, but, you know, I didn't ever see Buff as being a big star. What what do you think that he was uh, missing? He's got the looks. He's good in the ring. Like he's fair on the mic. He's got he's got decent mic skills. Like what do you think was the the X factor that he just did not have? Well, I mean, uh, I guess because you know it's like you could have a good match with with Buff, but I don't think you could have a great match with Buff, and you know, and have a have a thirty or forty minute match with him. Okay. You know, I, I don't think I don't see having a, a a long match with him. You know, um, and again, I, I like personally, I like the guy. You know, uh, obviously a good looking guy, and 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 he was and he was and he was a, he was a good he was a good hand, maybe better than average, but you know, there you go. Uh, there lies the deal. Some guys 
some guys make it all the way to the top and uh, some guys don't. Not a guy who can carry a match. Uh, you know, if you put him with a bad opponent, maybe he's he's not capable of turning it into a good match. Yeah, yeah. Larry Zabisco has not been an in-ring performer for years at this point, but he and Scott Hall are here teasing, working together during this time. Ted, have you had a lot of interaction with Larry over the course of your career? It feels like this would have been the only time you guys had crossed paths. Uh, Larry Zabisco? Yes, sir. Uh, I, think the, I think the first time I went to New York, Vince Sr. was still the boss, and uh, and I don't know how long after that that Vince Jr. took over. But that's the first time I saw Larry or, or, or met Larry because he was he was working there at the time as well. Uh, but you know, and I, and I, you know what, I've never really worked with Larry ever. It seems like a guy, you know, that I think you would have had good chemistry with. And yes, yeah. you know, I was trying to think over like, uh, when would Ted have had? And he him? was close. You know, and Larry, I think Larry, Larry was pretty close to with Bruno Sammartino. Yes. yes. Yeah. They were pretty tight. And you know, that that's the other thing. Bruno, Bruno was, a, a you know, he was very good on the mic and he had a great, a great body, but he wasn't like a, you know, he wasn't like a funk. He wasn't like a technical, you know, grappler but very believable nonetheless very believable so there you have and i mean we were just talking about like finishers that are kind of like you know not not these big crazy you know over the top moves i think bruno's finisher was like a bear hug uh and he got over he was one of the biggest stars in the world you know yeah that's because they made that special i guarantee you when it when another wrestler came into the territory uh what's your finish and please don't say bear hug because only one guy has the bear hug, and that's Bruno. Yep. Well, the N- the NWO wasn't done gathering members just yet. Let's drop in on the 12-9 episode of Nitro and have a look at your introduction of a new member. Into the holiday season, and that means into the Starcade season. Hey, hey, here comes DiBiase. Obviously not happy with the words out of the mouth of Piper. Is he coming here to our location? Do I look like the great Kreskin or something? I don't know. The last time an NWO member came out when I had the microphone was last week, and they chased us all away. Look, I'm not worried about DiBiase. It's just all the thugs together. DiBiase is watching the match. There's a pass from Enos. Nice one, too. Enos, good snap. He is standing on the other side of us. Wait a minute, he's got contracts in his hands or something. He does have a paper in his hand. We've already seen the defection starting with Marcus Bagwell. That's right, it happened a couple of weeks ago. Mr. Wall Street picks up. Mike Eno, stock market crash. One, two, three. And he disposes of Enos quickly. So who's getting the contract? What's going on here? I don't know, Enos was distracted. I don't, I don't know. He's handing it to Wall Street. And Wall Street doesn't need the money. Did Wa- is Wall Street joining the NWO? <laughs> Wall Street, yeah. Uh, oh, man. Oh, uh, do. <laughs> oh, your old tag team partner and you were reunited as members of the NWO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, most fans knew, okay, it's a million-dollar man and IRS from the WWF. 
Uh, it's just interesting now to see him here. He's in WCW as VK Wall Street. He was also once known, I don't know if you knew about this gimmick, he was Captain Mike Rotunda in WCW a few years prior, and a captain, like a ship captain gimmick. Yeah. Uh, it feels like a guy like Mike, uh, you know, a performer of his quality, could have been used better than a VK. V- VK, by the way, being a reference to Vincent Kennedy, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Yeah. Uh, feels like maybe he could have been used better over the years. What did you think? I think so. I do, because Mike had the talent. Uh, he had, you know, and, and we worked well together. And, you know, his, his, uh, his, uh, his he interviewed well. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I really don't know why. It's strange. It's strange. Yeah, I it do, is. You know, I, we did an episode about Money, Inc., uh, part one of our talk about Money, Inc., uh, a few months back. And I, I never asked you this question. Ted, the IRS gimmick overall in the WWF, too cheesy? Or do you think it was kind of perfect for him? Uh, well, I don't think he had done anything, you know, anything else like that prior to that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I, uh, I, hard to, hard to really, I don't know, maybe kind of like being the million dollar man, that's like, well, okay. Uh, this guy's this ultra rich, you know, I see that, but to me, the IRS is, it's kind of like. If you're going to call yourself the IRS, then, you know, should obviously be a heel <laughs> because nobody likes the IRS. I think that's what that was Vince's whole thing. He was getting all these crazy taxes and whatnot and fees. And he was like, I hate the IRS. And that's how he like came up with the character. It's just funny because it's like, OK, is this guy like what is he like an accountant? Like he's not the IRS. He's his name is Erwin Archeister. Like what is this gimmick? But weirdly, it's it's Mike's biggest claim to fame, really. And uh, you know, it's it, he made it work. Uh, yeah. He took he took maybe questionable creative, and you know, had a nice run with it. Yeah, he did. Um, it's, well, uh, Kevin Sullivan at this time is feuding with Chris Benoit, and uh, the crux of their issue is a real life affair between Benoit and Nancy Sullivan that's being used as the story. Uh, Sullivan is the booker at this time, which makes the whole thing even more insane. I mean, holy shit, man. Uh, have you ever seen anything like this in wrestling before or prior? Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about it? Uh, I didn't. <laughs> I kept all of my thinking to myself. I didn't want to get, in out, get, get, get into that. Uh, you know, that's something I just stay as far away from as I can. Man, that's a that's the veteran move uh, to stay the hell away from that situation. Because look, Kevin Sullivan is yep, he's a wrestler, but like I said, he's a booker, so he's office too. And now he's in charge of booking creative for the guy who's having an affair with his wife. Um, yeah, man, that is uh that is a rough scene. Uh, yeah, and uh, I, I don't know how that's. I can't remember how that story ended either. I know that they would end up getting into like some pretty physical matches together. And I think that Kevin was taking out some of his aggression during those matches. Um, well, Ted, you take over commentary on the next nitro along with Bischoff after running the usual crew away from the table. Uh, we know that you'd make the transition to commentary during your time with the WWF. So it was nothing new for you at this time, but what would you say uh, was the most difficult part of that transition uh, going from being a wrestler to now all of a sudden a personality on, uh, on a headset? 
Uh, well, it's just something I had, to, I had to get used to. I know that uh, um, I remember the first couple times uh, I did this for Vince. He he had he called me and and he said, Ted, he says I'd like you to come back. And I think I, I think this was the Survivor Series in Providence, Rhode Island. It was, you know, and he says, you know, like I, I want you to do color commentary. And I said, wow. I said, okay. Um, and, you know, I, I can't remember who was with me, who was the, I don't know if it was him. You know, a lot of times it was, but I know Gorilla Monsoon is somebody that I've worked with a lot. You know, once I, when I started doing that and I got, I got more familiar with it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, Vince would be the play by play guy. And, you know, Vince would, would, you know, uh, say, you know, call the shots that were happening. And I, I, you know, the, the other guy is supposed to guy that, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, what do you, what's the word? The color commentator. Oh, the color. Yeah. You know, wow. You know, gosh, you know, that, you know, that that's going to cost him. He's going to probably get his head knocked off for that, that, whatever, but yeah, do the color. And, um, it was okay, uh, but again, there's you know there's nothing I did after getting out of the ring physically that I really really enjoyed. I mean, I just I was just happy to be part of part of the business. So, uh, Ted, it's also around this time that DDP would throw one of his now famous Christmas parties, and apparently, a lot of talents and office people are there to see Stephen Regal headbutt and knock out Van Hammer who is apparently spouting off at this party. So, Ted, these parties by uh, Dallas have become, you know, famous over the years. Dallas throws a giant Christmas bash. He's like McFoley. He loves Christmas. Uh, please tell me that you, that you were there at one of these Christmas parties over the years. I don't know that I was ever at one of the Christmas parties, but I know the first time that I met Dallas, I was an active, I was the Million Dollar Man, and uh, he was... He was a bartender at a bar in Fort Myers, Florida. Okay. You know, and, and, and I, that's where I met him, man. You know, I just, you know, I can still remember. That's probably one of the drunkest nights of my life, too. Because I can remember, uh, you know, like sitting down on the, on, you know, like they had a, a bar and, you know, the, but the seat, I could, I could sit on the seat and I could lean, lean back and put my head on the counter. Okay. <laughs> So imagine this with my mouth wide open and Dallas just taking the booze and pouring the drink, (laughs) mixing the drink in my mouth. (laughs) I knew where you were going as soon as you said you could lean your head back. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, and and after that, there's not much more I remember about that night. I don't imagine. I love Dallas. I mean, my wife, Melanie, and I have gone and uh, we've stayed with him and Paige and uh, and he lives in the Atlanta area, Uh, you know, and he's got DDPY yoga. And man, I'll tell you what, it works. And I I need to get my big dumb butt back on it because I was going good there for a while. Uh, And now it's like, it's like... I wake up and every day is something different. So damn, I, mean, I was taking a shower and all of a sudden I went, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. where'd that come from? <laughs> when you start getting shower related injuries, you know, you're <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I didn't slip or fall or anything. I just washed the back of my head. <laughs> oh. oh, all right. Let's get to Starcade. Uh, there are more than nine thousand fans in Nashville, and you are ringside for the main event as Hogan takes on Roddy Piper. The crowd is going wild for Piper here, which really speaks to the incredible drawing pow power that these two still had over these years. I mean, uh, you know, Meltzer can say what he wants about, like, oh, geez, too bad they had to have a match in the ring. It's like, look, these guys are draws, and they're telling a story here, and they certainly did. Let's drop in on this match. Yeah. Over. Hogan, a la Rowdy Roddy Piper, pulling himself up with every effort he can in his body. Here's the big leg! He oh, missed it! He was going for the big leg! Piper's alive! Piper's up on his feet! That's not Bugs Bunny hopping there, pal! That's Rowdy Roddy Piper! The way he hopped out from Gene Okerlund. He's a moving right now, and this is starting to erupt. That's some movement coming down here now. The Let's giant, see. the giant's here! The giant! The giant has come out! He's going to choke slam Roddy Piper. Of course he is. Here comes a fan. Look at him. He's got Piper up. There's a fan in the ring for crying out loud. Yeah, he ain't in that long. That's the wrong place to be. Piper kicks Hogan down. Piper up in that choke that slam. It's a fight. He bit him right on the nose. He's gouging the giant. Here you go. The giant's out. Check his arms, check his arms. He's going out, he is going out. Yes, he is. Randy Anderson's got it up for one. He's got it up for two. Here it comes. Bring the bell. Bring the bell. Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. He said, I'm not with the NWO. I'm not with WCW. I'm for myself. I'm all by myself. I don't want help from Look at this, standing on Hogan with one foot. There's the legend, there's Hulk Hogan. There's the icon in this sport. And here comes bad news. The Giant is up. Piper! Yeah, don't wait. Don't wait, baby. Go ahead. Deal on him. Roddy Piper's got to fight on the outsiders. Get out, out of there. Get out of there. Stick and move. Stick and move. Stick and move. <laughs> and that's what he's doing. Find your way out, brother. There you go. There's your winner. There's the man with the bad hip that came all the way from home. All right. So one of the biggest shows of the year. I mean, a huge, huge reaction and like a finish that we just don't see happen very often. Normally, by the time the third, the arm drops a third time, the guy starts, you know, hulking up and, yeah. and the match continues. But man, that was the finish. What did you think? Yeah. I, I thought it was good. And it's good to do that. I mean, it's good. It's good to do that. Because, you know, it's kind of like, like you just said, you're expecting that third time for it to, okay, now he's going to, he's going to start coming out of it. And then he doesn't, yep. you, know, you know, anytime you can fool a crowd, it's a good thing. And they all went silent because, because I think everybody was shocked. Like, did his arm actually just fall? And then, yeah. the, and then the big pop happened. Yeah. 
Um, so really cool moment. And by the way, uh, like I said, during the match, a fan tried to hit the ring. So that's when you know you're doing booking right, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. So here's what I've been wanting to talk to you about when it comes to this, though, is, you know, it, this clean victory over Hogan is interesting because we hear all the time that Roddy did not like to get pinned. And even when he worked as a heel in the WWF, uh, most of his matches were ending in DQ or count out. Uh, Jake has actually talked about it before and said that he thinks, you know, it's it's absurd to not allow yourself to be pinned in wrestling. I know uh, I know that you worked with uh, Roddy a number of times in the WWF. What can you tell us about Roddy refusing to take a clean loss? Well, you know, I, I don't think that we ever talked about it. I mean, you know, I just, you know, we, you know, uh, we, we did what we did. And I think, you know, when I was working with him, I was the heel. I mean, I was, I was never the baby face, you know, working with, with him. And so, um, I don't know if that was ever even brought up. Oh, okay. And I'll be honest with you until you just said that I didn't realize that he didn't like to get pinned. Yeah. That's a big part of his reputation. And, uh, you know, I, th- I, mean, I, think- I mean, and I wonder how I, I wonder how that got by me. <laughs> I guess probably because, like I said, you know, uh, or like you said, you were the heel, so you didn't really have to deal with it. And then plus, it's, uh, you know, I think that you started to develop this reputation before you even arrived in the w- in the WWF. Um, and he was gone, right? He would have been gone by the time you debuted for the WWF. Yeah. But yeah, he, he would not take clean uh, pinfalls. And actually, you know, moving forward from this, they're, they're going to have a rematch at Super Bowl. And apparently Piper is going to refuse to let Hogan beat him with his leg drop. And Scott Hall is going to call Piper out backstage about it and say like, Hey, Hogan did the favor for you at Starcade and you can't put him over clean here at Super Bowl. Like it's bullshit. Well, I'll be, I'll be honest. I didn't know it. I mean, but I'll be honest with you. Scott was right. That's that's. And I liked Roddy, but that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, the business is a work. You know, and, and who are you to think that you're so good that uh, the, you, you, you're never going to get beat by a one, two, three count? That's just, I'm sorry. That's, I, uh, I, I, I would have told him the same thing. Yeah, it's silliness. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just crazy. Hard to wrap your head around, especially because Piper is kind of like an old school guy, much like yourself or Jake and, you know, this generation. I don't know. It's I know that he had a hard time when he was first coming up in wrestling. So maybe that kind of jaded him where he was like, hey, you know, I'm just, I need to protect myself in this business. Yeah, well, there's ways, ways to protect yourself, but refusing to get beat. I yeah. mean, you know, it's I mean, it's 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 always the how and the when and, and the why. Okay, uh, you know, there's, you know, <laughs> I don't know. That just, that just, I'm again, you've said, you've, you have revealed a couple things to me about guys I've known in the business for 40 years that I never knew before. <laughs> just one, one episode of our, 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 our podcast. Oh my gosh. I mean, it goes to show that you were keeping your nose out of other people's business, which is great. You know, that's, that's why you had a nice long career. It's, you know, it's, it's funny because it's such an individual business wrestling. You're focused on your individual contract, your individual look, your individual creative. 
And yeah. uh, it's it's interesting hearing you and Jake talk about wrestling because you guys were both just focused on like, okay, how's this match going to be great? Because Jake has always said, he's like, I don't give a shit if I get pinned. It's, you know, it's all the work. I don't care. And I yeah. know that you feel the same way too. Yeah. So it's like, you guys are just focused on how do we have a good match and thereby you guys always had good matches. And it's the other thing about, you know, it's like, it's, it's not, okay. It's not just getting beat. I mean, but there's a way to get beat and keep your heat. It's I, again, even, even if it's a pinfall, it's like, how did, how did the pinfall happen? In other words, it's like, it should never, you know, like if you're a heel and especially if you're working a program, it should never be that the baby face, the baby face just beats the shit out of you and then beats you. Uh, for an example, maybe, uh, maybe the baby face makes a big, big, big comeback on me. Bing, 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 bing. And then I, and then, and then he goes for a move and I sidestep him or something. And it looks like I'm going to get something on him and he reverses it. And, and, and down I go and he rolls me up one, two, three. That, but I mean, just to get your ass totally kicked, slammed, suplexed or whatever, one, two, three. No, not, 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 not like that. If you, if I think if you follow what I'm talking about, I do. It's like there's there's certain ways to do it. There's certain not- ways to do it without without losing your heat. I've also heard about heels uh, taking this method, which always makes me laugh because it's 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 silly, but it works. Where uh, if somebody beats you, and even if they beat you clean and wind up kind of kicking your ass during the match, afterwards uh, the heel just says like, "No, nah, you never beat me," which I think is a funny way to do it because that'll piss the audience off too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? He didn't beat me. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like everybody saw it. It's on national TV, but you just flat out refuse to acknowledge it. I think that's <laughs> yeah, that, that's one way to go about it. Well, uh, Ted, that is going to do it for this week. This was a really fun episode. I love looking back at your time in WCW. I know maybe not necessarily your favorite time during your career, but such an iconic period of time in wrestling and what a, a huge transition. Yeah, you know, you're right in the thick of it. Yeah, and one of the one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest battles was was the war between the two companies. Yeah, that was that was the main event. Was okay. Who's going to do what on Monday night now? And uh, we're going to continue the story next month. We're going to be looking at January 1997, which is most notable for yourself and Eric Bischoff on commentary for the first ever sold out pay per view. And, uh, Ted, things got pretty weird over there. There was like a, uh, most attractive biker contest, uh, which was probably should have been gimmicked and wasn't. There was like the NWO riding around on the back of, uh, on the back of garbage trucks. Uh, so it's, it's a very weird situation. I can't wait to, uh, talk where to was you that held? That was in, oh shit. It was in the Midwest somewhere. It was in, um, hold on. I'll Google it. Cedar Rapids, Iowa, five season center. Wow. Wow. All right. Before we go, I want to remind you all that if you'd like to get this podcast with no commercials and get access to a ton of sports entertainment and other shows, you can only do that on premierstreamingnetwork.com when you sign up for Premier Plus. Plus, my brother Dom is over there with Rob Van Dam. They have their podcast. Uh, my buddy Efren does uh, the game event over there, and there's plenty more. You've got to check it out. If you're a wrestling fan or a fan of entertainment, I can pretty much guarantee you're going to love it. Again, it's premierstreamingnetwork.com. It's Premier Plus. If you're, if you're enjoying our show and you're listening on your podcast app, please take a moment to like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review because that does Ted and I a huge favor. 
Uh, you can follow Ted at MDM Ted DiBiase on his social media. Follow me at Marcus P. D'Angelo on X. And follow Premier Streaming Network at Watch on Premier on X and at Premier Streaming Network on Instagram and Facebook. Another look back to 1996 and your time in WCW, Ted. It was a, it was a great episode today. Before uh, I go, you all must know, everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you guys next time right here on Everybody's Got a Pod.